Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Faith in It with Kay. So today's episode is going to be a little bit different. Initially, I was thinking, okay, it's Black History Month and I haven't really done anything as far as like have a guest come on and just have a discussion about Black History Month. So my intention today was to have that conversation with some living um, makers of Black History Month. So people who are doing great things in the community right now that are making history or on the path to make history for the community. And I think I'll still do that because although we have Black History Month, I feel like I call it Black Greatness Month. I love that so much better. Um, But I think that I will still have that conversation. It just might not be within this month. But I wanted to share really quickly. I actually had the opportunity to go to um, a conference over at the Resurrection Center. So this conference was called A Heart for the Safety of Our Children, Sex Trafficking, Public Awareness Conference. And I'm telling (laughs) y'all... It was 8 o'clock in the morning, and after a late night yesterday, I said, oh, there's no way. But it was just such a vital topic, because as someone who works with youth, or I've worked in alternative schools or alternative settings in different settings with youth, and kind of like seeing the different trauma. No, I'm not a licensed um, clinician or anything like that, or um, psychologist or anything like that, but I am, I always tell people I'm very analytical. So I'm always somebody who's paying attention, Um, and I do my best to kind of analyze. I analyze people at all times. Um, Analyzing the kids, I'm looking at, you know, what's going on, the way they're acting, the way they're reacting, Um, because I want to make sure that they're okay. So, like, having this conversation or being a part of this conversation was something that was really important to me because I think recently especially even in Delaware, I think awareness of it has become um, broader, but it's always been an issue. So I think we talk about it more. And there was just so much amazing information that was kind of brought forth like during the conference. I think it was just a statistic of something like um, 60% of the kids are, that are in sex trafficking Um, come from the welfare system. And they shared a story of one of the youngest child being sold into sex trafficking, being a three-month-old, being sold for $600 along with a sibling at five years old in Denver for $600. So there was someone selling an infant, like the uproar for the five-year-old, but like an infant three-month-old baby into sex trafficking. So it was just so many puzzling statistics, so many eye-opening stories of just the different experiences that um, they had a great organization there that was called Meet Me at the Well Foundation. Now, this foundation was excellent in just the work that they're doing, um, and then just having the conversation about sex trafficking and just the effect on the community as a whole. And I think one of the statistics that was shared was, um, which I'm frankly not too surprised by it, was that I don't know the exact number, 
but it was a very high number of black or brown male and female being sold into sex traffic, sex trafficking, I'm sorry. So there's an overwhelming number of black and brown people, children being sold in sex trafficking. And then also, what was also not surprising is the buyers are generally white males. Um, so like, you know, just that understanding of like, it is, it is such a problem. And as a black female, it is such a problem. Like it's, it's not something that I was surprised by because if you have eyes, if you have ears, and especially if you're black or brown, you have experience of understanding that the way society treats us, um, is not equal the way society treats a missing black kid or a missing brown kid or missing Spanish kid is not the same that society as society is not the same way that society treats a white kid being missing. The way society treats um, a black kid or a Hispanic kid who's been a part of something, some kind of crime especially even if they're juveniles or under the age of 18, um, the way they treat that child is different from the way they may treat a white kid. The explanation of, oh, this child might have been disturbed. Oh, the explanation of this child had a rough upbringing. Whereas no matter how, how traumatic the experience may have been for the black or brown kid, they're almost always portrayed as thugs, even if they've been like young people who were exemplary citizens up until the point of the time that whatever it was occurred, they were never portrayed as that. They were never portrayed as someone that maybe a switch went off, maybe something happened, maybe something traumatic happened. It's never so much a defense of mental issues, though I believe mental issues and is very prevalent in our community. It's never an explanation of that when it comes to the black or brown kid. You know, watching the news and the identity of the black and brown kid is almost always identified. It's always shown. And the pictures are always the pictures of something that makes them look like a thug, something that makes society believes that when they look at that, when they look at that picture that that kid is capable of doing whatever it is that they're saying the kid did, or that kid is capable of someone mistaking them for a thug or whatever it may be. So, whereas on the other hand, if it is a white kid, their identity is concealed because they're a minor, they're underage. So it's, it's not surprising to me that we are more susceptible because we're less taken care of, we're less acknowledged, we're less um, guarded by the people who are supposed to guard us, who are supposed to protect us. And like, you know, there was just so many different conversations like, you know, that I had with the ladies that were at the table and, you know, just hearing their point of views of why they were there, you know, whether it was a grandma being there just to be able to get the knowledge that they needed to help their granddaughters or grandsons and the signs or the things to look for. So just being more prepared so they can kind of help the kids that are in their sphere or atmospheres um, 
you know, aunts and uncles being there just to be a part of that conversation, just to hear. So there were absolutely parents there, but a majority of the room was there to just kind of be a community. So how can they help in this like expanded issue? So it's it's not going away. It's actually getting bigger. I think they said it was somewhere odd of like a 12, 12, um, 12 billion dollar industry. So something above that number of just how much um, it's growing, the financial aspect of it. So people are not stopping. They're trying to find craftier ways to do it. And part of the conversation was just social media and how social media or the different apps that we have, how predators are kind of using those tools meant to kind of keep people connected, um, keep people, um, I don't even know, like just to keep people connected, how predators are now using those apps to prey on young kids and young people. Like one of the lady gave an, um, she gave an example of a young child who was maybe about 15, I believe she said, that called into the suicide hotline about a friend who was um, threatening to commit suicide and had stopped responding to her messages. Apparently this friend, this child lived in somewhere maybe Ohio or so. And this friend lives um, in Washington State. And, you know, the girl was very adamant that this is her best friend and it was so strange to her and just to everyone in the room that when she asked the girl, like, well, what's your friend's name? She could only give her a first name. So she had no knowledge of this person's last name. She could only give a first name. So part of the counselor was just to kind of like get information. So what did this person say? What does your friend say that they're about to do? Just to get more information because she's frantic that this person's not responding. And just fast forward the story um, while she's having this conversation, she's also responding with author um with authority about authorities about how to locate her friend just in case he is in trouble. But of course, to her, she's like, it sounded really strange. So finally, she contacts authority. They're like, there's no one in Washington State by the name that was provided, just the first name. So based on and she, you know, she inquired, how, you know, how do you know and Apparently they everything's digitalized, so they're they're everything now as far as yearbooks are being digitalized. So they were able to sh- to kind of search all of the yearbooks to try to locate this who should be about fifteen or sixteen years old, um, this person. So I, somehow the FBI got involved, and you know, fast forward, the girl had to get permission from her dad because the FBI wanted to kind of go into the computer itself and um, locate who she was having a conversation with. It turns out that her her experience ended up getting two out of four people arrested. Um, And like, you know, one of the main points of the story was too, that one of the focal points, I would say, of the conference was for parents to kind of be that person where the kids can come and have a conversation without judgment, come and have a conversation in a safe space, in a safe zone. So when things are happening, when things are, are um, have happened that don't sit well with them, that 
they're not proud of, but has placed them in a compromising situation, they can come to a parent who won't judge them, who won't um, harshly punish them. And, you know, one of the things that she remarked was the dad said, you know, he will have a conversation with his daughter tomorrow about the issue, but right now, what did he need to do to handle, to take care of the guy or the person, this perpetrator? So it was just like such a beautiful thing of just like, you know, the daughter, she did, she felt fear of telling her dad because she said her dad would, was going to kill her. But she understood her. She had a relationship with her dad enough to say, well, whatever fear she had, that she could override that because her dad loved her enough that she was going to be all right. So, you know, like one of the things that the, that was just echoing through the room was be a safe space for your child to be able to come and talk to you. Be a safe space for any child to come and talk to you, especially if you're somebody who's connected or working with kids. Be a safe space that they can come and talk to you about whatever it is that's going on, whatever issues that they're dealing with, wherever they may have been accosted by someone. Like, Be that safe space that they can come judgment-free and have a conversation. And one of the things is like, they talked about the different signs um, that someone is too controlling. So kind of like... And honestly, it was so powerful because uh, the adults were in one room and they actually took the kids to another area and they had the same conversation just on a different level. So the kids got to learn, like, what are signs to look for? So when someone's too controlling, so threatening suicide or self-harm, when they spread rumors about you, refusing to listen or show respect to others. So they got to learn what are signs to look for of like somebody who is a manipulator or a groomer, um, somebody who's grooming them, trying to see whether they're somebody that's susceptible to being, being sold into the sex trafficking um, lifestyle. So part of it is trying to break down those walls or break down um, that person's self-esteem. Um, and oftentimes, sometimes their self-esteem is already broken. Um, and then that's why it's so important for us to just affirm our kids, any kid whose life we get to be a part of, we have the privilege to speak into. It's so important for us to affirm them, to let them know that they are smart, they are beautiful, they are handsome, they are capable of anything that they put their minds to. They are capable of doing whatever it is that they desire to do. And that, you know, sometimes it's it's hard because there are kids who don't have parents who are affirming those things to, to them or about them, I should say. They don't have those parents who are speaking life into them. And sometimes, like, there is a void of a missing parent or a missing um, person who should be affirming them. So it's tough, you know, because there are some certain home environments that, Mom is there and mom is affirming. Mom is speaking truth. Mom is lifting that child up. But because there's an absence of of the father, sometimes those females or males are susceptible to listen to a male voice who comes in and affirms them in the way that they, they've been wanting to be affirmed by their father. So that person t- recognizes that and takes that as a space of controlling, as a space of showing love, as a space of grooming that child into a different lifestyle. 
And, you know, some of the examples were for kids who came from just, or who come from two-parent households, strong households, but somewhere something is missing and predators are able to kind of like locate what is that missing factor? What is that thing that needs, that they can kind of grab that kid or grab that um, child's attention or show affection or show, um, because one of the things our kids love, (laughs) even working at a center, they love to think that they're adults. So in certain instances where you're affirming their adulthood or these people are affirming their adulthood or their ability to make decisions and choices, um, they're affirming those things. So they get them to think that, okay, you're an adult now, you can make these different choices. And if you come with me or if you are, if you were with me, then you would get to make those choices because part of it is isolation and a breaking away from the family and the friends. And once you've isolated someone, that person then becomes everything to them. So it's very hard for them to leave what has now become everything because oftentimes there's no, there's not a space left. Um, so for that family member who's breaking away, do your best to hold on for that child who's breaking away. Do your best to hold on, to grab on to them, to let them know that you are consistently there, that you are there for them no matter what. I don't care. Call, text, whatever you got to do. Let them know that you are there because that might mean the difference for them. That Let them know. I think one of the ladies said it so perfectly. She said, let them know that no matter what, they can always come back home, be home, be that judgment-free place that they can always come back because society is always judging. It's always judging. It's always judging our kids. It's always judging what they're doing, the way they look, the way they sound, what they're doing. But it's important that we have to be that space. So whether you work with kids or whether you have kids of your own, be that safe space that they can come back to where they're not judged, but they're loved. They may be taught, but they're not judged. They are, they are challenged to make better decisions, but they're not judged. Because nobody want to be in a space where they feel judged because no one's perfect. So allow them to understand that, that no matter what mistake you make, you can always come back home. And that let them know that you will always love them. So like, I just thought it was just such an important conversation. It was such an important conversation to have. And there's just so much more from this conference that I really wish I could just talk to you about. And I th- I think one of the things that I want to leave you with is um, Mimi of the Well had quite a bit of handouts but one of the one of the things that they have is who is at risk males and females so it's not just your female daughters and not just your female cousins it's also the males don't forget to look out for them don't forget to check in on them too intimate partners so that boyfriend or that girlfriend sometimes those are the perpetrator it's that person who befriends them as a boyfriend or girlfriend. Children or minor family members living at home. 
youth in foster care and in juvenile justice system, runaways, homeless, or who identify as LGBTQ, people with physical or mental health disabilities, people who are oppressed, marginalized, or impoverished, people with a history of sexual or physical abuse, undocumented immigrants. So just recognize that predators are looking to target those without a voice, those whose voice they can steal, those who they can dominate or have control over because of some lack or some deficiency or some space, um, some insecurity. So build up your child. Let us build up our kids. Let us let them know that they're the baddest thing since sliced bread. I heard somebody use that, so I think that's just the that's just the best way to put it. Let us be in the space where we let them know there was nothing more powerful that was created than them. There was no one more powerful that was created than them. And then I think one of the things that was just also alarming, but not too alarming, is the understanding that one of the growing um tactics for recruitment are familial. So based on this uh, handout, it said over 1,078 people were recruited through an intimate partner or marriage proposition. And then the second number, largest number was 893 being recruited through a family member. And like, I know this is just like one of those things, like it's like another thing because we need our village. We need that village around. But please talk to your kids. Even if it's family, please be mindful who is watching your child. Please be mindful who you leave your kids with, family or not. Because sometimes that hurt or that space or that physical abuse starts at home. And it starts with a family member. That first person that they were hurt by was somebody that was related to, was someone that was they trusted, that the family trusted. So be mindful of who you're leaving your kids with. And then always tell your kids, it does not matter how someone threatens you, who they threaten. Give them the understanding that mom, dad, auntie, whoever... We can take care of ourselves. If anybody does anything, if anybody touches you, anybody, I don't care what they say, they don't kill the dog, the cat, whoever, you tell me. Let your kids understand that, that no matter what the threat is, that you as an adult, you can take care of it. But it's their responsibility to tell you because you want to fight for them. But yeah, I guess the nugget that I want to leave is just... If you can, become as advised as you can about these different issues. Become as knowledgeable as you can about these different things that are going on. And I think I want to try to leave you with some numbers. So hopefully you can um, understand these numbers. There's a 24-hour crisis response for children and teens. And that number is 1-800-969-4357. Again, that number is 1-800-969-4357.
Then there is the Delaware Child Abuse Hotline is 302-292-9582. Again, that number is 302-292-9582. And then the Delaware Sexual Assault Response Center, SAR, S-A-R-C, is 1-800-773-8570. Again, that number is 1-800-773-8570. And then parents, educators, if you're listening out there and you have that pool with a child who has a cell phone, one of the apps that they kind of, they told us to download was, uh, was called Noon Light, N-O-O-N-L-I-G-H-T. So if you have a child, go ahead and go to the app store and make sure that app's on their phone. That might be the difference between saving their lives. So again, become a safe space for your kids. Become a safe space for those kids that are connected to you. Your relationship with them might just be the thing that saves their lives. So I guess... Today's topic was a little heavy, but like I said, I went to this conference today and it just really just kind of stirred me um, and wanted to do something. And even now, I know for me personally, I'm going to have to find a way. How can I be help? How can I be um, more of a support? Um, So I'll be exploring that. What can I do beyond this episode of a podcast um, and beyond what I do with the kids at the center, beyond being that person, how can I develop and be that person? How can we get this information out to parents? Um, until then, like I would encourage you to go ahead and check out Meet Me at the Well Foundation. Like I said, it was an awesome foundation and just the resources and the knowledge that they have. They're actually based out here um, in Delaware, and they're doing great things. They're actually doing really good things like for the community and what they're trying to do and build. Um, and their website is www.thewellde.org. Again, that number is www.thewellde.org. And again, the name of this organization is called Meet Me at the Well. And for those of you who are familiar, I asked... Is that story, is that name birthed out of that story um, that most of us are familiar with in the Bible where Jesus meets the woman at the well and he tells her the water that he has, if she drinks of it, she will thirst no more. So I loved that that was the name um, and that was one of the reasons why that name was chosen is that in this space, they are. They're literally being that space where people are victims of sex trafficking, can be refreshed and renewed. They're there given resources and just whatever it is that's needed to, for that person to rebuild their lives. And I think they're doing amazing work. They're doing amazing work. And hopefully in a future episode, we can kind of like have dissect this conversation more. Because like I said, I'm not a pro. I'm not, um, um, I don't know everything about this topic. 
I'm still learning, but I just wanted to come to you and just kind of tell you about this amazing conference that I had the opportunity to be a part of. I hope some little nugget of information that was shared um, will kind of stir you, especially if you have kids to kind of go ahead, check out this uh, foundation, go ahead and check out the resource that they have. Make sure that you're protecting your child. Make sure you're protecting your nieces and nephews. Because God covers us, but there's no space and room for ignorance. The more information that's out there, we have to become informed. And yes, absolutely pray. So I think this episode, will title it, Faith in information just simply that faith in information because what you know or what you don't know I'm sorry can absolutely hurt you what you do not know can hurt you so I hope that now you have just a little bit of information that now you can be empowered to kind of do your own research to get out there and figure out other ways to make sure that your kids are safe and the kids who you're connected to are safe. So thank you for joining me for this episode of Faith in It with Kay. Until next time, see ya!